This is awkward, okay, as we go into the sermon time, because if you, if you couldn't tell by the scripture or, or the title of the sermon found in your bulletin, we're going to be talking about money today. And it's always awkward whenever the pastor has to talk about money, because the first thing that people kind of go to is, oh, we're talking about your salary. I want you to know that no matter how much you give, you could right now write a check for a million dollars and my salary will not change. It's a, it's a fixed thing, it, it's not, it's, you, your giving doesn't influence it in that way. So just know as we're talking about giving, we're not talking about my salary, that's already done and it's out there with, with higher ups than, than, uh, than I deal with. So uh, now that we've gotten that awkward part out of the way, we can really start to dive into uh, some talks about money. And I want to start with a man named John Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of the, uh, founder of the Methodist movement uh, he lived around the mid-1700s, and, uh, and you know, if you kind of take this into consideration, this is about the time that the independence movement is going on in the United States. Our country wasn't even born yet, but this guy's over here in England uh, adapting from the Anglican church what he ended up calling the holiness movement. And so he's uh, going around England preaching about all of this, and it eventually gets over to America. But in 1760, he preached a fascinating sermon. And I say fascinating because, you know, it depends on how much you really want to read sermons from the 1700s. Yeah, you know, I don't know that many people really dive into the archives for that one, but when you go to school for three years for it, you come upon these kind of things. And in 1760, he, he preached a sermon called The Uses of Money. This is very interesting to begin with. And in this sermon, he uh, talks about what come to be known as Wesley's Three Economic Rules. Wesley was all about rules. They had general rules, economic rules, rules about everything. It was a very odd character. But these rules are actually very beneficial, come to find out, and also they just kind of you know, make sense in our normal lives. The three rules were, first, earn all you can. Simple enough. I, most of society gets that point. Earn all you can. Rule number two, save all you can. Yeah, that makes sense, okay. And then rule number three, and probably the most challenging, give all you can. And these were his three economic rules that he proposes in uh, his sermon, The Uses of Money. And uh, to the end, that the church, as it was kind of developing in, in the 18th century, that the church might come to be a stronger force for global change. And so in his rule, earn all you can, what he is saying is, Put yourself to work. Be useful and do it with your whole strength. In other words, if you can produce something, then do it. Make a living, earn a wage. If you're able to, then you know, what else are you gonna do? Just, just go ahead and do it. And most people get that, you know, it's also kind of essential to do so. Uh, but so we got that part, earn all you can. The second part was save all you can. And in this section, Wesley really digs deep into what that means but really settles on this point. Don't waste your earnings on unnecessary things. Or a, a direct quote from Wesley's sermon is, do not waste any part of so precious a talent merely in gratifying the desires of the flesh. It's a fancy way to say, if you don't need it, you don't have to buy it. And then give all you can. And this is the part that was the climax of his sermon. He says, we can't stop with the, just the first two. 
which is where most people like to stop at. Earn all you can, save all you can, and that's good. And we've got a solid life for living right there. But he says we can't stop with the first two. For what good is it to gain and save if we do not point it towards something beneficial? I hate to break it to you, but you can't take it with you when you go. And I think most people recognize this, you know. Even, even all of the people who have been buried with their wealth in their casket also know that it's not going to do a whole, a whole lot of good once you're six feet under. And so Wesley's point was, if you're going to earn all you can and save all you can, then at least direct it towards something beneficial. Because why else would you have it? And so I bring this up in light of the season that we are in now. This week is Thanksgiving week. We have Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. And it's an opportunity for us to give thanks for what this past year has held for us. And so uh, growing up, our family had a tradition. We gathered together for Thanksgiving lunch at a grandparent's house. We would, uh, before we could even eat, we would all have to talk about what we were thankful for out of that year. Whatever that might have been, even if that year held just the most atrocious things for us, and sometimes it did, we could still find something to be thankful for at the end of it all. And what we came to find is that gratitude is an incredibly powerful experience that helps people refocus on what they have instead of what they lack. I brought a prop up here, and I know the choir's been looking at it thinking like, oh my gosh, he's got breakfast waiting for him. I have a donut with me. And there's this old saying that, uh, that says, when you live your life and set your goals, pay attention to the donut and not the whole. Pay attention to the donut and not the whole. And what this expression is, is pointing towards is let's look at what we actually have and be thankful instead of looking at what we lack and lusting over it. Because, you know, when you look at a donut, there is a space there missing. Intentionally so, by the way. There's a space they're missing, and it will be easy for us to be able to look at something that might have a hole in it and say, that needs to be filled, rather than just simply appreciating it as it is. And so in this expression, look at the donut and not the hole, we are looking at what is present, what is available to us, what we already have, rather than the gaps and what we might lack. And this is something I'm really bad about. Uh, I, I, have, I have just, this is part of my, per, one of my great personality flaws is I'm really good at looking at what we don't have. And so it's actually become a, a joke around our house that anytime we, my wife and I go to the store and, uh, and we're shopping around, I say, oh, you know what, we need to get a new TV. We don't actually need a new TV. We have one that works perfectly fine and it's great and all that stuff. But it's just, it's just something in my personality that I very, I'm, much easier, it's much easier for me to look at what's lacking or what I could have more of than to just appreciate what's there. And so this message really rings home for me. And I'm going to sit this up here. I hope nobody's hungry, but I just want to remind you of the donut. It's a churro donut. I can't wait to eat it after service. Been having to save it through this whole morning. Good grief. And so as we are in this time of thanksgiving, 
in this time of being able to actually speak out what we are thankful for, the things that we have, rather than wishing and wanting for what we might lack. And I do hope that you will do this, at least on Thanksgiving Day, take a moment to actually speak into words what you are thankful for, what you are grateful for. But I also want us to think that if we are at least willing to say what we are thankful for, are we also willing to prove? Are we willing to prove that we are thankful for what we have? And that's an odd expression because you don't really think about proving gratitude. How do you prove to somebody that what they've done for you matters? How do you prove that something that's happened to you means something to you and that you're grateful for it? Well, interestingly enough, researchers have uh, dove into this topic on uh, multiple different accounts. And gratitude researcher, believe it or not, that's a thing, a person who researches gratitude. Gratitude researcher Robert Emons notes that gratitude is more than just a pleasant feeling. It is also motivating. Gratitude serves as a key link between receiving and giving. It moves recipients to share and increase the very good that they have received. We get the same notion from our text in 2 Corinthians 9 as Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. And in doing so, he's talking about this fundraising project for the church in Jerusalem. And he says, each of you must give as you feel comfortable giving, not begrudgingly. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. There's wisdom in that. Honest gratitude and thanksgiving promotes honest generosity. And so, based off of the same research that Robert Emmons pulls out, and also it's just kind of like the thing that a lot of psychologists and sociologists do around Thanksgiving time, they research thankfulness and gratitude, and they find that gratitude is the key link between receiving and giving. And I love how he articulates this. It moves recipients to share and increase the very good they have received. That's something that we know. It makes sense, but to actually hear it into words is pretty profound. That gratitude moves us to generosity. And so, if we are honestly thankful and grateful during this season, our natural response should be generosity. But here's the irony is that before the turkey is even gone on Thanksgiving Day, most Americans will dive into some amount of extravagant spending. Because Black Friday deals are now starting much earlier than Friday. I, I do actually remember when it was just a Friday thing, and I remember my mom and sister going to wait outside of stores for their midnight opening, and I thought that was ludicrous because sleep is definitely more important than standing outside of a store. But even now, Black Friday deals are being moved up to uh, you know, even before Thanksgiving Day, summer starting on Wednesday, I actually saw an ad for some Tuesday Black Friday deals, and it's just starting earlier and earlier. I guess it's profitable for the businesses. But even before the turkey's gone, most Americans dive into some amount of extravagant spending. And this often leads to a drop in giving in churches during the holidays, and not just this church, all churches and nonprofits as well, that there's a drop in giving because... For just a little while, for just a little time out of the year, people feel comfortable saying, for right now, I'm more important. Or 
my family needs this right now. Or it's the holidays, you have to spend money right now. What else do you expect? And I found out uh, just not too long ago that this year alone, this year alone, in 2019, between, thank, between uh, November and December, Americans will spend roughly $730 billion in just two months out of this year. Meanwhile, there was a project that started up a couple, of, a couple of years ago in the early 2000s called the Advent Conspiracy. And it was based off of these figures that of how much Americans spend in the holiday season, particularly in the season of Advent, compared to their project was looking at what it would take to provide clean water and, sanita and, uh, and sanitation to the entire world. And right now, it would only cost $150 billion to provide clean water and sanitation to the entire world. $150 billion. I know that's a lot of money. I know that's a lot of money. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't even imagine how much money that is. But compared to the $730 billion that Americans spend just at Christmas time, it really starts to put things into perspective. And it's curious because if honest gratitude and thanksgiving spurs generosity, then are we really being thankful enough? Or are we just anticipating how much we can spend as the holidays come along? And so I want us to think about what would happen as we enter into this holiday season if our extravagant spending became extravagant giving. But Micah, I can't, I can't extravagantly give Definitely not to the church, not to my nonprofit of choice or whatever, whoever might be in need of some giving. I've got to spend this money on, on my family. There's too much to buy during the holidays. If I give too much, I might not have enough left for me. I want to bring us to a beautiful quote from a young girl just a few decades ago. Listen to these words from Anne Frank. No one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. And immediately, whenever I first heard this expression, my mind went to, uh, went to that moment in which Jesus and his disciples are sitting outside the temple in Jerusalem. And there are these Pharisees and, and, and wealthy people coming up with their, I imagine, like these sacks of gold, and they're like jingling on their way, and somebody's got a trumpet behind them, and they're parading up to the temple to toss in their giving. In the midst of all of this celebration, a widow comes up with two mites, which could barely be considered currency, and drops them in, and Jesus points out and says, she, in her poverty and still giving, has given more than all of these people have given in their wealth. No one has ever become poor by giving. These words from Anne Frank really reign true whenever you think about the situation she was in as she was writing. Being in absolute poverty, friends of her family supporting her and her family and another family living in this tiny little, little annex as Nazi Germany was occupying so much of the world, Europe, and 
uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to actually go to Amsterdam this past summer, and we got to walk through the, an, the, the house that Anne Frank and her family hid with them. And it is incredibly powerful and really puts this quote into perspective even more. Because even in her poverty, even in the poverty of the friends who are supporting her family, there is still enough to give. There is still enough to be generous. And while Paul does write in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, and that's something that I do want to point out here. I'm not standing up here saying, you all need to be giving more. You all need to be giving more. I'm not saying that. And we actually have a very generous church. We give very well. But what I am saying is that even while Paul does say that each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, we must also recognize that the world will not change without a little generosity. We must realize that the church cannot change without a little generosity. Because the situation that we find ourselves in is that our society, and really the society for thousands of years, has been based upon monetary exchange. And that's not really going anywhere anytime soon, no matter how you might feel about it. It's, it's here. It's how our society operates. And so for, for any organization or church or nonprofit, money is a part of how that uh, organization operates and what, what good they are able to do. Money does make a difference. And that's, you know, it's, it's hard to take that in whenever we like to talk about spiritual things and we like to have that, that feel-good message and like warm-heartedness whenever we go out of here. Money does matter. It is the way that we are able to do more things throughout, uh, throughout our ministries. So we have to recognize that the world will not change without a little generosity. We're coming to the close. This is the last Sunday of our Breaking Down Four Walls series, our series on being the church rather than just attending the church. And I want you to know that extravagant generosity is crucial to being the church rather than just attending the church. Because those who just attend the church are very okay with holding on to their money. Those who want to actually be the church are looking for places in which they could pour their money out and help somebody else. Being the church today means investing in what we believe in. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the Christian year Funny enough, you know, in the Christian calendar, our year doesn't end on New Year's Eve like everybody else's year does. We're kind of like, it's kind of like the Chinese New Year over here. It's a different time than everybody else. Our year ends with this Sunday. The Sunday is, uh, is the end of the Christian year. And then we go into Advent, which kicks off the new year for the Christian calendar. But we end the year with Christ the King Sunday, celebrating the reign of Christ, the triumph of Christ over, uh, over all and the establishment of his glory. And today on this, uh, on this Christ the King Sunday, I want to uh, allude us toward Advent. Advent starts next Sunday. And during the season of Advent, we talk about the story in which three wise men find Jesus. Three wise men, magi, sages, whatever you want to call them. They were people of respectable character and they had money. By whatever means they had money, they had it. And they come and they find Jesus and they present Jesus with these gifts because they were willing to recognize something that the rest of the world wasn't ready for. 
that this boy is king. And they present him with these luxurious gifts, even though we don't really use frankincense and myrrh so much in our society, gold maybe, sure. They present him with these luxurious gifts as an emblem of a universal truth that we invest in what we believe in. Jesus says later on in the Gospels, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a sign that we put money into what matters to us. Sometimes, if that's ourself, then we keep that money for ourselves and use it on ourselves. If it's a cause, then we spend that money towards that cause. If it's helping out a family member, then we do that. Wherever our heart is, that's where our treasure goes. We invest in what we believe in. And that's what these three, uh, these three wise men, sages, magi, whatever, do, is they, they bring these extravagant gifts to declare that they believe and this child as the king. And so if we believe in what it means to be the church, if we are grateful for what it means to be the church, not just attend the church, that's easy. It's easy to attend the church. But to actually be the church, to be the body of people who make a difference in the world, who live out a call of sacrificial service, of radical hospitality. If we are really believe in what it means to be the church, then we need to prove it. You see, as Wesley puts it, we give all that we can because all that we have earned and all that we might save is for God's glory, not ours. Because if there's one thing that human history can teach us is that human glory doesn't last. Any celebrity could tell you this. Any great king of any nation Go on back through all of human history and you'll find human glory doesn't last, but the glory of God is eternal. And so we give all we can because all that we have earned and all that we might save is for God's glory, not ours. And so my question for us today as we prepare to go forward is, are we grateful enough as we go into this Thanksgiving season, are we grateful enough to give extravagantly? It's easy to live extravagantly, but are we willing to give extravagantly? Extravagant generosity. I saved this, this sermon for the end of this series because it is perhaps the most important. Because giving extravagantly requires sacrifice. It's hard. It requires us stepping back from ourselves saying that my pride isn't that important. Maybe somebody else's needs are. It requires us saying that perhaps I'm not the most important person in the world and perhaps the love of Christ is trying to reach out to somebody else and make a difference. And so are we grateful enough to give extravagantly? Maybe. I can tell you right now, the world will not change without a little generosity. The church cannot change without a little generosity. If human beings keep hoarding for themselves their wealth, the world is going nowhere fast. We're going to be pretty much stuck where we are. But those who give, those who live out extravagant generosity, are those who are the forerunners of the love of Christ being made known across the earth those who are beckoning God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So let us be a people of extravagant generosity. Let us be the church. And let us pray together this morning.